Thanks for joining us for this podcast. We hope that it inspires you to follow Jesus. You can find out more about the life and ministry of City Lights Church and how you can connect with us at city-lights.church. If we haven't met before, my name is Andrew, and along with my beautiful wife, it's our privilege to lead City Lights Church. Do you, do you know what? That the best is yet to come for City Lights Church, that uh, we are continuing to pray and believe that we will have more and more impact in the city for the glory of God and to uh, lift up the name of Jesus. So exciting times again uh, ahead for us, but thank you so much for being a part of it. Now, uh, today, we're at the end of our Philippians series. So we've, we've spent eight weeks in the book of Philippians, and uh, I hope that you've been encouraged, stirred, and blessed uh, in this time. And so we're going to finish off today, and I'm going to be talking about desert seasons. Desert seasons. Now, desert seasons are when your circumstances change and your resources run out. Now, as I'm talking, I think in terms of desert seasons, when we explain them, that's one thing. But when we feel them, maybe you're in one. Or when you remember a time that you're in one, that's a different thing, right? Desert desert seasons are when there are difficulties in your life that are beyond your control. And desert seasons is where you have things that you want to do and things that you need to do and you can't do them. And the reason is because you don't have enough resources. There is not enough around you to do what you need to do for you to get done. Your energy demands often increase. Who's felt that? The increase, the world wants more from you but your resources seem to not be enough or decrease. And it's at this time, often in these desert seasons, that fear comes in. There's three key fears that come in at the desert seasons. The first is the fear of lack. Do you know what the question the fear of lack is? Will I have enough? The fear of lack asks Will I have enough? Next, we have the fear of inadequacy. And that's not will I have enough. The fear of inadequacy is am I enough? Am I within myself enough? The third is this, the fear of burnout. The fear of burnout is this, am I going to damage myself? Am I going to hurt myself in this time where I don't feel like I have enough resources. Do you know what else comes in other than fear? Something that's related, and it's caution. Caution, I call caution the little sister of fear. And caution is the counterfeit of wisdom. Okay, caution pretends to be wisdom, but is not wisdom. And here's the difference. Wisdom is inspired by God, but caution is inspired by fear. So caution, you'll hear caution where it says it wants you to appeal to the worst of your past. 
It'll say, caution will say something like this, you've been burnt before. It'll want you to see your current circumstances through the filter of your previous circumstances. It'll say this, it'll say, don't get carried away. It will limit you from being wholehearted. It'll say, don't just hold back, don't give too much. And it'll say, be careful that you don't get hurt. It'll want you to play it safe. Now, here's one thing that I've noticed is that desert seasons lead to discontentment. And how do we know? How do we know when we're when the desert season is leading us to discontentment? Because we start to feel it and our bodies start to tell us. And we have often unhappiness. We begin to lose our joy. Another sign is exhaustion. And who's ever had like a, an older type iPhone or mobile phone where you plug it in overnight and it's charging for like 10 hours and then you use it for like 30 minutes and it's dead? Who's ever been that? This is like a picture of when you're in a desert season. You can't get enough charge to last you through the day. And we have anxiety, we have dissatisfaction, and often that brings resentment. We begin to resent our circumstances and the people in them. So we know when we feel it, we know in our, our emotions, we also know by what we say. And here are some of the things that we often say in desert seasons and things that I know that I've said, and this list wasn't that hard for me to, to write because at, from time to time I've said all of these things, I'm over this. This is not what I signed up for. I can't do this anymore. God isn't coming through. I'm praying, but nothing is happening. And we have these phrases that we say, but do you know what is more powerful is actually the amount of times we repeat it in our minds. And so the confession of our internal dialogue, we, we're creating, we've talked about this before, you create well-worn paths so that when you come up to a situation and your, your constant dialogue, internal dialogue is, I can't do this anymore, guess what? You're, you're mentally prepared not to do it. You've been building yourself up to not do it. And so this is what we say, what we think. Now, we all get it, right? We get it. But often, this discontentment can then lead us into disconnection. So we've got this desert season leading us to disconnection, di discontentment that then leads us to disconnection. In disconnection, what we do is we put ourselves in self-preservation mode. We go, look, there is too much energy leaving me. I need to put up some walls. I need to put up some barriers. I need to conserve. And in these times, often what we do is we withdraw from things that are actually good things, but the reason that we withdraw them is because we just we can't cope with the energy demands. We've got some 
Often we've got some great friendships or community and what we'll do because we don't have the energy, whether that's the emotional energy or the physical energy, we will withdraw from those things and we will lock down the hatches. We'll put up the gates. Why? Because the discontentment, the desert season, the lack of resources has brought us into the place of disconnection. Do you know the other thing that we do? And again, it's something that I feel and something that uh, is definitely a pull is that often we withdraw from prayer. Now, we've got a good reason it's not working. We don't need to pray. I prayed. It didn't work. I didn't feel anything. God didn't change anything. And instead of going to God, we often seek distraction. And we have excessive use of things that actually drain us, but for whatever reason, we keep coming back to them. We have excessive use of, here's some practical examples of screens, of food, of drink. And so we're feeling this kind of drain. We don't know what to do. We're putting up boundaries and we're going to the wrong things. They're not satisfying us, but we're going back to them and we're in this cycle. And sometimes we say to ourselves, things are going wrong. I must be doing something wrong or things are going wrong. I must be in the wrong place. And ultimately, if we're not careful, that disconnection, that discontentment, it can actually divide and it can become a separating barrier between us and God, between us and others, between us and our calling and our purpose and the things, the healthy, godly things that God has called us to do on this planet. Now, the question is, who loses when we are disconnected and divided? It's a good question, right? Often, it's not so much us. We don't necessarily feel that. But do you know ultimately who loses is the next generation? And I'm saying, yeah, our kids, the people that are, we've got ministry to, but also lost people. If we are disconnected from God, if we are disconnected from our purpose, from our ministry, if we are disconnected from others, we cannot operate, we cannot function like the body of Christ that is alive, that is strong, and that God has called us to be. And so we're going to talk about this this morning, and the title of my message is called Thriving in the Desert. Thriving in the Desert. Do you know that the Apostle Paul was definitely in a desert season when he wrote this letter? He was under house arrest. Now, what did house arrest mean? House arrest meant he was stuck in a house under Roman guard. He could not work. He had no way to provide for himself. So he relied on the generosity of others to actually eat, to function. So he was allowed to write letters, but he wasn't his by trade. He was a tent maker. So he had no way of providing his own resources. Definitely a desert season. And in fact, he was most comfortable in desert seasons. It was actually... He had experienced these things. Here's a list that he wrote about 
the fact that he was no stranger to desert seasons, no stranger to difficulty or hardship. If you read the story of his ministry in the book of Acts, you'll see, and here he lists it in 2 Corinthians 6, 4. He says, rather as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, in hardships, in distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and in hunger. Do you know that following Jesus, being a Christian, being a Jesus follower, does not make you immune to difficulty and hardship? I think everyone knows that, that the promise of life in Jesus is not that you will be immune from difficult seasons or desert seasons, but it's something else. In fact, sometimes your decision to follow Jesus will actually take you closer to the flame, closer to hardship. And the Apostle Paul, we see that despite his um, specific circumstances, despite the fact that he was in a desert season, he was not disconnecting. He was not discontent. He was not, it not, had not brought him into a place of division, but quite the opposite. We do not see a person that in the life of Paul that gave up on God, that gave up on others, that gave up on his ministry. But in fact, he learnt something. He learnt a secret. And in the book of Philippians, he shares the secret of thriving in the desert with us. And if in Philippians chapter 4, verse 12, the second part, he says this, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Let's pray together. Jesus, we come to you, and Lord, we come to you as we are. Those in this room, those listening on podcast, so many different circumstances, so many different stories, and especially those that would say, you know what, right now I'm in a desert season. We pray and we thank you that your word is life and it is light. And we thank you that it's going to speak to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This picture that we've had up on the screen is actually a picture of the Israeli desert. Now, if you have a look at it, you can see that there is not much life going on. And in fact, the conditions for growth are not very good at all. The soil is not good. There's often extreme heat and cold, very little rainfall, and not much grows there. But there is one thing that grows in the Israeli desert, and it's this. It actually thrives in the desert. It's an acacia tree. Now, acacia trees are found in different places all around the world, and sometimes with good conditions, their roots will go down about 40 centimetres. 
All right, so if you've got good rainfall, if you've got good soil, it'll go down about 40 centimetres. Do you know that the longest roots that they have found of an acacia tree have been 30 metres? And this is the first secret to thriving in the desert. The first secret to thriving in desert seasons is this. It's a deeper connection. Now, the acacia roots, they go down and down and down until they hit an underwater, underground energy and life source. And this is what happened. This is what happens. We don't know the limits of how far they will go down to find that. And it's only when the roots go down and down and down till they reach the water that the tree begins to thrive and begins to flourish. Now, a deeper connection is this. A deeper connection is about exchanging self-reliance for God-reliance. This is what the Apostle Paul says in the next verse. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. It's when we realize the deeper connection that our strength and our source is from Jesus. And the secret is not that you are, connect, you are content with your circumstances or connected to your circumstances. The acacia tree is not connected to the desert. The acacia tree is co- to connected to the most abundant underground life source that there is that provides it every resource that it needs to thrive in the desert. And when we understand that in desert seasons, God calls us deeper, that's when we begin to look and go deeper. And when we pray, and sometimes Jesus invites us in our prayer to pray until we get the connection, which means in our prayer, we go deeper. In our seeking God, we go deeper. And sometimes we don't feel it because we haven't connected yet to the energy source that God hasn't stripped back all the layers of self-reliance where we're relying on our circumstances, we're relying on things around us, but he calls us deeper and deeper and deeper. What do we get when we find and we go deeper? We find Jesus. We don't find things because part of what Jesus is doing is teaching us not to base our life on the things that we have, or whether things are going well for us, but actually to connect with him to see Jesus as our greatest prize, to see Jesus as the thing that we value most. Do you know going deeper in God is the opposite to these two things. Often we either tough it out, which is like, I've just got my personal power and I'm just going to make it through, or we check out and we're like, I'm done with this. It's not working. But when we go deeper, we say, God, you are the prize 
and I am going to pray and I'm going to wait and I'm going to seek you until I find you in a fresh and new way. This is the power of deeper connection. A couple of weeks ago, um, it was like a Thursday afternoon and I was just like, my battery was just flat. I was just like, I had no, I had zero go. Doesn't happen too often, but I had zero go. And what I wanted to do was just to lie around and watch TV, okay? Now, the reason that I didn't do that is because I knew that it wouldn't recharge my battery. And what I did instead is something that I have learnt is that I need to actually I needed to actually slow down in prayer. Often when I'm tired and exhausted, I do not feel like praying. I feel like distracting myself. And I just had to slow down and I just had to also be okay that with a fast mind and a weak body that I didn't feel like my prayer was particularly effective. But I just slowed down to be with God. Then what else did I do? I exercised. What else did I do? Instead of staying up late, I went to bed early. How do I feel? I feel a lot better. Were those things pretty difficult for me? Yes, they were a little bit difficult. They required a little effort. But really, practically, this is what it means to have a deeper connection. You slow down to be with God. You begin to seek God for His presence, and you just begin to sit with God in quietness. That's the first secret to thriving in the desert. The second secret to thriving in the desert is this. The second secret is resilient generosity. Resilient generosity. Again, Philippians 4 says, I can do everything through Christ. Do you know resilient generosity is a can-do attitude based on the reality of the presence of Jesus in your life? I'm going to say that again. Resilient generosity is a can-do attitude based on the reality of the presence of Jesus in your life. Now, what this does, one of the primary things it does is it challenges the existing script in your mind. Here's an alternative. Sometimes we say, I'm over it. I can't do this anymore. And we repeat it over and over. How about we put this instead and put this on repeat in our mind? I can do all things through Jesus who gives me strength. Verse 19 of chapter 4. My God will supply all my needs. Everything that I need to do everything God has called me to do comes from God. And I want to encourage you, when you start to put those thoughts on repeat, what you're going to do is you're going to challenge the idea of self-reliance, which is so hardwired. It's all up to me. It's all up to my personal power if I'm going to make this done. And you flip that script and you say, God, no, this is, I'm with you. Yes, God is with me, but more importantly, that like I am with God because I have a deeper connection to God. And therefore, on that basis, I can do everything that God has called me to do. If you take one thing out of this message today, I want to encourage you to take that. 
to put that in repeat on repeat in your mind to exchange some of these self-defeating thoughts and these limiting thoughts with a thought that says god i can do everything that you've called me to do because of who you are i can do you will supply all things everything and this is a powerful thought. Do you know that in Philippians chapter 4, verse 10, the Apostle Paul shares a definition of re- generosity. He says this, I rejoiced greatly that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. So concern, another word for concern is empathy. Here is my summary of the Apostle Paul's definition of generosity is when empathy meets opportunity and results in action. When empathy meets opportunity and results in action. It means when your heart is open, then you are going to begin to open your wallet to be generous. It means this. It means that we give because we love. That God has done something deep within our hearts as we've received the love and the life of Jesus. And that begins to flow out to others. It means we become like the good Samaritan who doesn't just walk past people in need, but actually freely gives resources for the benefit of others without necessarily getting anything in return. Do you know that sometimes God will call you and me to give out of lack and not to give out of abundance? Sometimes he calls us to give out of abundance, but sometimes he calls us to give what we don't have. That's an interesting thought. Like how is that even possible that we would be called to give something that we don't have But I I guarantee that some stage in your life, in your Christian maturity, as you grow to become like Jesus, which is our goal, right? To grow, to mature, to become like Jesus, God will call you to give from weakness, from lack, in the midst of pain, in the midst of a desert season. And why would he do that? Is that even, would he even be good for God to ask you to give from a season Of lack. But the reason that he would is he wants you to rely on him. He wants you to actually go to him and say, God, you've called me to give. It's like the little boy. You know the story how Jesus took the little boy's loaves and fishes? All right. And what did he do? He took them and he multiplied them. And sometimes God will call us and he'll say, what have you got in your hand? And we'll say, I've only got these loaves and fishes and it's just enough for me. And Jesus will say, okay, I know it's just enough for you, but would you put that in my hands and allow me to do a miracle? Can I encourage you? that desert seasons are seasons of miraculous provision, that God wants each and every Jesus follower to be part of a miracle that gives glory to God, and that as he calls you 
to keep giving, to keep sowing, to keep uh, responding to God in season and out season, that he's actually going to do a miracle. What used to happen when Jesus used to multiply bread and fish, which he did on more than one occasion, there used to be abundance. Not only provision for that original person, but provision for everyone there and things that were left over. And I want to encourage us that part of being in the desert season and learning resilient generosity is an invitation to live out a miracle and an invitation to take a step of faith. Do you know that the Christianity is based on taking one step after another of faith? Why? Because it's pushing aside self-reliance and embracing a life of faith where we trust God in every and every and any area of our life. I love how the Apostle Paul talks about this process in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 7. It says this, Let your roots grow down into him, which is what? A deeper connection. And it says, And let your lives be built on him. These are unwavering convictions. Do you know when we have a deep connection, we start to orientate our whole life around the things of God. We start to build our life on the things of God. A real simple illustration. Beck and I decided many, many years ago that um, when we first got married, that we would be people that go to church every Sunday. It's a very simple decision that we made. We don't get up on Sunday morning and go, what are we going to do today? We set that aside. We build our life. We have a conviction that it is good for us and good for the community. Let our lives be built on him. And then it says, then your faith will grow strong in the truth that you were taught. Our faith begins to strengthen that the truth that we have, we believe it enough to take a step of faith. Do you believe that the word of God is true enough to take a step of faith? Enough to go, God, yes, it is true. All right, so this chair here, I can believe that it's strong enough to hold my weight if I stand on it. That is one level of belief. And then I can, oh, this is good. I can step on it, right? Do you see the difference? You can have a mental agreement with it, or you can actually agree enough to take a step. And this is what following Jesus is. Agreeing enough with who Jesus is, no matter how counterculturally he he thinks no matter what he does, no matter if you feel it makes you look a little bit silly or no matter if it doesn't necessarily make sense in the natural, he invites you to be a part of a daily miracle. Sometimes it's a long miracle. Sometimes it's something that he does in an instant. So let me ask you a question. Where is Jesus asking you to trust him? Right now, what area... Is Jesus asking you to trust him? 
one of the areas that I have learnt to do this in the, is in the area of financial giving. I started the earliest that I can remember giving 10% of my income to local church, which is, is a big deal to a lot of people. It's called a tithe for almost 30 years. Okay, so my first job when I was 15, working at McDonald's, I got $4.84 an hour. And on that abundance, on that overflow, I gave 10% to my local church in Sydney. Why on earth would anyone do that? That does not make sense in the natural. And some of you, like when you talk about money, people, you know, there's all kinds of things popping off in different people's heads, right? Why would I do it? You have to make your own decision, not necessarily based on what I say, but how you read the Bible and what the Bible says. But why did I make that decision? What have I found? When I give financially, I deeply connect my life and my finances to God. That's why I do it. I remind myself that what I have is not my own. I remind myself that God is the source of my provision. And I remind myself that when I give to others and put God first in every area, he is the one that supplies, but I get to be part of supplying something to others. And so this is an act of trust that reminds us that God is the source of our provision. Do you know that Rebecca and I have done that in season and out of season when we were both working full-time in Sydney in corporate? We made lots of money and we tithed on that when we we've sold two houses and tithed on the profits of those houses that is not necessarily an easy thing to do but that is something that we've done because of a deep con- conviction when we started the church and i was working full-time as a volunteer and beck was working two and a half days we still tithed on that why it's a deep conviction of ours based on a deep connection to the person and the promises of god Now, this morning, that's just one example, but the question is, and the question that the Holy Spirit will speak to you about is, what area is God inviting you to trust Him in? It might be in the area of prayer. Some of you sitting here, you may be discouraged with prayer, or it may have dropped off your agenda. It may be sharing your faith. It may be going public with your friends that you're a Christian. It may be when, when they say, hey, what'd you do on the weekend? And you're just like, oh, you know, just did some bits and bobs. And, uh, you know, oh, I went to a nice cafe. Oh, but you say, oh, I, I went to church. And they're like, really? I didn't know you go to church. We've only been working together for seven years. <laughs> it might be going public with your faith. It might be building your life around the ways of Jesus. It might be, even though it's a little difficult, replacing some of the habits that you use to cope with life with habits that you're going to use to build your life. And this is a real thing. It comes at a a cost. I know this. But I want to encourage you. Here's another question. 
Are there any areas of your life that you have placed off limits to God? Is there something you say, look, God, I'll I'll do all these things, but this area I, I won't do? And the last question is, where is God asking you to be generous despite the season? Can I tell you two things that happen when we do? The first thing is this, we begin to, when we are deeply connect with God, And when we choose the path of resilient generosity, our lives begin to demonstrate beauty. Have a look at this photo. This is actually the flowers of an acacia tree in the desert. Do you know how striking this would be? If you are walking through the desert and everything is lifeless, And then you see this tree that is not only green, but you see this tree that is beautiful. Do you know that God has called each and every one of us in our home life, in our workplace, to demonstrate the beauty of Jesus? Is that when people know that you're going through a difficult situation, but you have a connection that is not based on your circumstance, and you begin to shine brightly, and you begin to demonstrate the beauty. If you you have joy when you have no circumstantial reason, this is a beautiful thing. This is what the Bible says. This is actually witnessing the resurrected life of Jesus. Because the life that Jesus has called us to live is not our own, but we are called to live out the resurrected life of Jesus himself. What a powerful thing. So that as I go around life, people are hearing my words, they're seeing my face, they're observing my conduct, and they're going, something is different about that. There is a beauty. What is that about? This is what God has called us to do. And do you know what? It's not. It shines brighter the darker that your circumstances are. And I want to encourage you that God has called you to do. You know, the second thing is that God allows us to provide resources for others in the most difficult place. Do you know the acacia? It's actually the national tree of the nation of Israel. One of the reasons for that is the ark, if you know the story of Exodus, the ark of the covenant was actually built out of acacia wood. Now, it makes sense. There's not much else wood going on. But there are so many things. There are actually a whole different bunch of medicines. They also used to prepare charcoal from the resin, and it was a source of food for the flock. Do you know that God wants us to be a source of generosity in difficult places? that we would have resources because of our connection with God that we would be actually able to share with others? Isn't that a powerful thought that God wants us to capture the beauty of Jesus but actually to have the life flow of Jesus? As I was preparing, I I see this tree as a prophetic picture for our church. 
that some of us, we're in desert seasons and we're like, God, like, why am I here? I don't believe that desert seasons are a permanent state. But I do believe that when we're connected to Jesus, it's actually irrelevant. That if we have a deep abiding connection to the life flow that is the person of Jesus, that things begin to happen out of our life. And I really want to encourage you. I'm going to pray in a minute. But I want to champion you as someone who has strength and who has access to things that not everyone has. Jesus does not provide an out for every difficult circumstance. That is not, he never promised that. Do you know what he promised? I will be with you. You will have access to my presence. You will have access to my life. You'll have access to sources that are beyond other people because you know me. Why don't you bow your heads and I'm going to pray for a couple of groups of people. The first group of people that I'd love to pray for is people that as I'm speaking, there is a boldness and there is a life that says that rises up within them and says, God, I want to be like that tree. I want to be provision. I want to be beauty in every single circumstance. I'm not saying that you feel that now, but I'm, if, if that is rising up within you and say, God, I want to be like that tree. Would you just put up your hand? I want to pray with you. Yes, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. God, we thank you, Lord. No matter what the circumstance, no matter what the circumstance. And just in this moment, you can put your hands down. I just want to pray and I want to release the presence of God to anyone that's struggling in the area of anxiety. Kate spoke so well, I encourage you to listen to that podcast. But I also want to pray because yes, God puts our roots down deep, but He also comes rushing in and His presence comes and fills spaces. And if that's you, that you are um, dealing with anxiety and fear and maybe caution, I'd love to pray for you and include you in that. Just put up your hand wherever you are. Thank you, God. Lord, we just release that right now. Release the provision of God, the life of God. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Thank you. Lord, we declare that our church is going to be a church that provides, that thrives in difficult places, that is a source of hope and of life and of provision. And God, we thank you for that. In the name of Jesus. Just before we go, we want to give an opportunity for anyone who wants to make that first step to invite Jesus into your heart. Gwendy spoke about it so well, about the moment that she invited Jesus into her heart, said, God, I can't do this life on my own. I make you the boss, Lord, and Savior. I'm going to pray 
And as I pray, if that's you, just include yourself in this prayer. Jesus, we come to you and we open our heart to you. And we say from this moment forward, we invite you into our heart. We invite you into our innermost place and ask that your presence be with us. Lord, we give over control to you and we choose to do things your way. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for this message. We hope that it has inspired you to follow Jesus. You can find out more about City Lights Church at city-lights.church.